coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios at Stark Fringe Radio. And welcome to Dark Fringe Radio. I am your host, Will Martinez, and we got a great show for you guys tonight. Episode number 52. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting episode because it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to get into that here tonight. And uh, of course, my co host, my partner in crime, as always, Jay Galosi. Jay, what's going on, brother? What's up, motherfucker? Yeah, man. How are you, my man? We're doing great, man. We're doing great. Uh, we're going to have a great episode tonight for everybody. We've got something uh, special planned, some new segments, so some new material for everybody tonight. So we hope to uh, bring everybody a little bit more extra meat on the bone tonight. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's right. A little extra, little extra meat, some nice garnish of potatoes. Dude, we got some good stuff. I'm really excited for this episode. I'm looking forward to not only the main topic, but... Uh, a few of our current running segments and a new running segment, which we'll, uh, you guys will hear here in a little bit. Exactly. And um, again, I wanted to remind everybody about the social media, how to follow us. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, just look up Dark Fringe Radio. We're there uh, on a daily basis. We're always dropping new stuff on there. So make sure you follow us on those fronts and check us out. Um, how to listen to the podcast. Very simple. We're list- you can listen to us pretty much on every freaking platform they have out there right now. So whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, you name it, we're out there. Just look up Dark Fringe Radio. Uh, we just ask you one favor when you do that. Make sure that uh, you give us a five-star rating and a uh, comment. So that way, uh, that helps us out with the advertisers and gives us a little bit of a uh, little boost in the rating. So that's the way you can help us out. Make sure you do that. Uh, make sure to uh, do that on every one of those platforms. If you do li- listen on different types of platforms, please just do that in all of them um, that you can. So um, that's it. How to listen to the podcast and uh, and how to follow us on the social media. Jay, anything else for the intro? That's it for the intro. Make sure you like, comment, share, star, give us your information, good, bad, indifferent, and or ugly. We do not care. We want to hear it from everyone. So that way we can make sure that we bring you guys the best possible content for you guys to listen to and wrap your minds around. Absolutely. And um, again, if anybody has anything that they want to send to us, um, as far as information, guest suggestions, anything like that to that nature, you can send that to us directly at thedarkfringe at gmail.com. Again, it's thedarkfringe at gmail.com. We're always looking to, um, you know, uh, interview uh, interesting guests, anybody who has anything that has, uh, you know, anything pertaining to the paranormal, uh, you know, anything at all, conspiracy theories, climate change, whatever you, you know, you could possibly think of that's obscure and things that, uh, you know, most people don't talk about, we will definitely entertain it. It's definitely up our alley. So make sure you send that stuff to us directly again at the dark at gmail.com. All right. That's the intro for tonight. Uh, Jay, you want to jump into the mailbag? Uh, again, like I said last week, <laughs> I don't like that as a dirty euphemism. I'm not jumping into any mail bag. But as far as content for people, questions from our great listeners, I absolutely do. I was trying fruit on. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that makes perfect sense, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, well, um, our first mail bag question comes from a David Gomez from Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, David writes, Hi, guys. Uh, David from Scottsdale here, and I was just wondering if... Either of you have heard anything about the Julian Assange issue that where he got picked up in the UK? Did you hear about that, Jay? I didn't. Yeah, so the guy who's behind WikiLeaks, 
Julian Assange has been held up in an Ecuadorian, I guess what they call, um, I forget the name actually, where uh, a political asylum area where, you know, like a parliament uh, for the Ecuadorians. Anyway, so they gave him political asylum or somewhat of some kind of asylum there where he was just chilling there. And nobody can kind of like touch him. But again, he wouldn't like adhere to the rules of, you know, what they put forth for him. You know, so next thing you know, here comes the UK parliament and they come in and just swoop him up from from this, uh, you know, this apartment building that he was at. And, um, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting story because, um, you know, this guy was responsible for all the WikiLeaks dumps. He was uh, responsible for the Panama Papers, uh, which was, um, you know, all these uh, information dumps of, you know, people doing pretty nefarious things. Um, you know, people, yeah. you know, hiding money overseas and, you know, it, it, was, it was it was pretty damning. So, again, you know, this guy has been responsible for, you know, really disseminating a lot of information that a lot of people have not been able to get their hands on. And who knows what kind of ways he's gotten his hands on this information. And that's kind of the reason why they've taken into the custody now, because they say that, you know, he's hacked into computers and it's, uh, you know, some type of hacking job. So that's the kind of technicality that they got him on. But yeah, that's what's pretty much going on in the UK right now, Jay. It's the technicalities that will get you. I mean, Al Capone got nailed for, for uh, you know, tax evasion. And as we get into the meat and story of, of our stories, the particular one I'm focusing on, it was a little thing to get you in trouble. It's those T's that don't get crossed, those I's that don't get dotted. Uh, so something so, so simple and, and little as hacking someone's computer, um, you know, could get you in some deep shit when you've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting story, and it's going to be interesting how it develops um, as time goes by and see if he does get extradited to the United States, that's what the U.S. wants because they want to get him um, on that, you know, those issues. But again, I mean, people, some people call him a journalist. Some people call him, you know, a traitor, you know, because of what he did and, uh, you know, disseminating, disseminating a lot of that information. I mean, yeah, it, it did show a lot of issues with, you know, the people behind the scenes. But again, at to what cost, you know what I mean? So again, there's, I could see the argument right. on both sides. Right. Well, that's, that's what everything else you do. You have to, you have to outweigh the cost versus the outcome. Like, is it is it really worth it? While, yes, you're getting information out and you're shedding the light on, on those who are doing nefarious uh, and questionable actions, if you yourself are partaking in said questionable and nefarious actions, it, it kind of tends to become a moot point. You know, it's, it's the pedal called the pedal. The kettle calling the pot black. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah, you're you're on the money there, man. You're oh, right. Well, that was <laughs> it's a tongue twister. <laughs> oh, but you know, you're right. At this time, at this time, at this time of night, after a very long day, yes, apparently yes. that is a tongue twister. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. We understand. And listen, you're 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 precisely on point. I mean, it, it just that's just the way it is. Uh, but again, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where this all goes and how it unfolds or. Maybe this guy ends up suiciding himself, you know, somehow, some way. Um, wink, know, wink, wink, nudge, wink, nudge. Exactly. You know, I wasn't trying to, you know, make so it obvious, but yeah, obvious. But yeah, it was, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, David Gomez, thanks for, from Scottsdale, Arizona, man. Thanks for sending that in. And we appreciate the question for the mailbag. Another uh, mailbag question we have from a, a Jamie Duggar. And uh, she is from Pleasant Point. Uh, Montana, and we appreciate the uh, email. Thank you so much. 
And she asks, are you guys ever going to ever do any movie reviews, especially especially the new one with Pet Cemetery being remade and also the new uh, sequel from Rob Zombie 3 from Hell? She's like, uh, she also goes on to say that she really misses the movie reviews and wish that we would do a little bit more or maybe even do them live. Um, that's a good suggestion. Maybe we'll do something like that. Um, yeah, listen. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. Listen, we... We did that for a while. Um, you know, we had a person on here who did that for us for a while, and it, you know, it 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 was great for you know a minute, but then it kind of wore thin after a while. So, um, it's you know, unfortunately, we just wow. decided not to do it because we you know we wanted to do other segments that we thought were a little bit more fruitful for us. But if you guys are really um, you know interested in that, you know what we'll do? Maybe Jay uh, is take a poll, maybe online. Maybe that'll be a good you know uh, way to get a gauge. Yeah. On something like this. Let's, well, let's let's do that because uh, my what to watch is actually something I could review because it's something I saw in the movies. Now it's not quite on the same tone as the Pet Cemetery or Rob Zombie's movies. Right. Um, I'll go ahead and leave that more to uh, to you. Um, although I've heard some stuff about the Pet Cemetery movies, the new one. Yeah. Uh, that I'm, I'll I'll leave out there because I haven't seen it, so I can't give my my opinion or two cents. But yeah. there's a lot of big movies coming out, and I have. To playing a lot of trips to the movie theater. So we could definitely do that or cover some, some different movies and reviews, um, you know, maybe add it as a segment maybe once a month or something like that, and we can take that poll online and see what everybody else thinks. If they want it, if that's what the people want, that's what they get. If they want cake, let them eat cake. Let them eat cake, yeah. Well, or listen. get movie reviews, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? That's what we'll do. Listen, everybody, follow us on Instagram. Look up Dark Fringe Radio on Instagram. What we'll do is by the time this episode comes out, there's going to be a poll on there for you guys to basically tell us whether or not you want us to do a movie review, and we could do it live as well. Um, something that we could do maybe Instagram Live or Facebook Live, whatever the case may be. Uh, maybe we could just do it something uh, separate from the podcast and maybe add a little bit more entertainment yeah. somewhere somewhere else, you know? So um, we'll, we'll, we'll check yeah, that out. Yeah. We'll do that, and uh, just make sure you follow us there on Instagram. Check out the poll. We'll leave it up there for a few days for everybody to, you know, gather the time to go ahead and do that. But we'll leave it up there. Give us your opinion, and we'll go from there. So, um, again, uh, thanks so much, Mrs. Duggar and from Pleasant Point, Montana. And thanks for sending in the, uh, the uh, mailbag question. So, again, that's it for the mailbag, Jay. Um, anything else for the mailbag you want to add to any of those uh, two topics there? No, I think those are great suggestions on ways that we can continue to uh, evolve the podcast as far as Miss uh, Duger, right? Yes, Miss Duggar. Duggar. Yeah, Jamie Duggar from Pleasant Duggar. Point. From, uh, from Pleasant Point, Montana. I had a, my, one of my brothers used to be stationed out in Montana. Really? Either way, totally side of point. Yeah, my brother Bob. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, either way, so that's a great way for us to evolve. Maybe I have something with the podcast to do something additional on the side, I mean, Will and I, we, we talk about these things constantly, and, and we've talked about doing more live episodes, so if that maybe that'll be separate from the podcast, maybe it's just be a live episode, something we do, you know, every now and then, or, or when, when uh, as it gains momentum and interest, it can be something else that we can add on to all the content that we put out, as well as, uh, I'll be curious to see what happens uh, with the whole WikiLeaks thing and see how that progresses on if the U.S. gets their hands on him, on if he stays in the U.K. for prosecution, if he gets prosecuted to prosecution at all. 
some unfortunate event might happen. You never know. Yeah, that's what everybody's saying that might happen. But we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. It's going to be an interesting uh, event. So, well, listen, that uh, concludes the bailback for this uh, uh, episode. And I appreciate, Jay, uh, your feedback as well. Thanks, guys, for sending in those questions. And please, again, if any of you guys have any other questions, suggestions for the show, again, send that to us to thedarkfringe at gmail.com. Again, thedarkfringe at gmail.com. Send that to us. We respond right away. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That concludes the mailbag. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, best-selling author and paranormal researcher, and you are listening to Dark Fringe Radio. Jay, go ahead and um, we spoke about this new segment, and I wanted to kind of bring this in, and I wanted you to kind of introduce it to to the you know to the listeners, and kind of you know introduce it and talk about it and explain what we're going to do here tonight. All right, friends, Romans, neighbors, countrymen, fellow dark fringers. As I was driving along yesterday, I thought to myself, "What's some new things that we could do on the podcast?" I find myself trying to think of new things and trying to go ahead and let my creative horses uh, run free from time to time. And Will is truly the anchor in which holds this thing together uh, and, and the motor in which drives us. But sometimes I get to have a little bit of fun and throw a little few things out. So I figured, nice little fun play on words for the name, my friend Will. My friend Will is a very smart guy. He knows a lot of things about a lot of things. He's also a really good bullshit artist. So <laughs> in our newest segment, yeah, I got you, motherfucker. So... In our newest segment, I'm so glad that we've come off that whole family show thing we were trying to do. I know, right? <laughs> the new segment is called <laughs> Just Not Us. <laughs> Will You Tell Me? Will so You Tell every Me? Every week, every podcast, every every episode, I'm going to come up with a new question. The question is going to range from everywhere and anywhere. Anything which I think I can trip up or slip up, my good man will. And he will tell me whether he knows something or not. By or not, I mean he's going to try to bullshit his way through. And I have to try to figure out if he knows what he's talking about or if he's blowing smoke up my butthole, which I don't <laughs> like, Will, so don't do it. No, uh, but of course. that's the newest segment. Yeah, and I have to cop up to it. Either you know, I'm telling the truth or I'm bullshitting. So it takes a lot of you know truth and, and effort on my part, too, to you know, be honest about it. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. And uh, I thought it was a great, you know, a great idea by Jay to come up with this idea uh, for our new segment and we're going to go ahead with tonight will you tell me so let's uh let's start it off Jay come on let's uh what's the question for tonight and by the way well, I can't look I can't look up anything I can't use any electronic devices I'm not looking searching or anything I am completely still with a microphone in my face and just thinking about what the answer may be go ahead with this being the inaugural will you tell me the initial one, and us being in Florida, both Florida-based Florida boys, grow, born and raised and grown in Florida. Hallelujah. I figured I would do something very Florida. Okay. So my question, Will, is mm -hmm. will you tell me how Florida became part of the United States? 
Florida became part of the United States um, back, I believe, in the 1800s, the late 1800s. It actually started with St. Augustine. St. Augustine is actually the oldest city in the in the U.S. A lot of people don't know that. Um, so it actually started there. And then what happened was is that um, I think it was uh, one of the generals, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was the Stanley, I don't know if it was the General Stanley, one of the two, uh, the one that came down here that actually has... The mansion that we've 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 gone to field trips before many times as children that built the railroads down here and that's what basically started the inf- you know the influx of uh people coming down here and this becoming part of the union so that's what i believe that was the answer to that question yeah are you making that up or are you being up you have to ask you have to tell me what do you think in the early 1800s right about 18 uh as as early as 1818 the Florida Seminoles were actually going through into Georgia and raiding white settlements on behalf of British privateers. So uh, the president at the time, who was James Monroe, sent down his most trusted general, who was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson went on to Spanish territory, which was Florida. He hung every British privateer. So he caused a three-way international incident and everybody has to remember, at the time, in the early 1800s, we were not an international powerhouse. We had actually just had our asses handed to us by the British in the War of 1812. We were really not focused on going out and above to become anything more than what we were. We were only focused on our own shores. So this actually, this, the actions that happened in Florida by Andrew Jackson is what caused America to start realizing that it could no longer be a closed border kind of country. Right. So Andrew Jackson comes in, he hangs these British privateers, pissing off the British and the Spanish because he did on their land. And uh, the Speaker of the House, Henry Clay, had actually wanted Jackson to be severely reprimanded, including up to prison time. And James Monroe said, no, what he did was a military foyer. He did a preemptive strike, which is what he should have done, and he hung... The, pir- the pirates, which is also what he ought to done. So James Monroe opened negotiations with Spain and ended up getting Spain to cede Florida in 1822, I want to believe it. I, I want to say it was 1820, 1822, somewhere in there, um, without another shot fired or a dime being spent. The Spanish were so done with Florida that they just gave it away. Hmm, so no, Will, you are wrong. Exactly. <laughs> I try to bullshit my way through that. You thought it was good. Henry Flagler for fuck's Flagler, sake. exactly. That's I was trying to. Add, the name was right there. I just couldn't get it. Yeah, Flagler was an industrialist. He didn't have shit to do with the general. Yeah, I, I, it sounded good though. Uh, yeah, no, your smoke blowing was. Eh, <laughs> it was about halfway. It was about halfway. I could do better. Yeah, next I know time. you knew better. <clears throat> it was the inaugural one. I got faith in you for the next one. I already have plans for the next four or Uh-oh. five of these. It's going to be... <laughs> oh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. That's awesome. I love it. Well, that's great, man. I love the segment. We'll keep it up, man, here for next week. Um, so tonight, Jay, what we're going to do is do something a little different, a little off the beaten path. You know, me and Jay were kicking around ideas about you know, what we should do for the podcast tonight. So we decided... You know what? We're going to go a little different tonight. We're going to do some true crime. And um, we're going to talk about a couple different cases that, you know, we thought that, you know, the the question still remains. There's some type of mystery behind it. And um, 
you know, we're going we're gonna to kind of pick apart a couple cases here that we think are pretty intriguing, you know, we think we should talk about and, you know, discuss. So, Jay, tonight, what is your true crime story that we're going to talk about and disseminate? So I was focusing on Jimmy Hoffa. Ah. So uh, Jimmy Hoffa, I didn't have a whole lot of idea who he was before I started doing the research for this episode. You know, you, you, you knew, I knew some things. I knew that he was a teamster. I knew that he uh, came up, he vanished one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that he could be a scary individual. But he didn't really know much else beyond that. So I found Jimmy Hoffa to be a very complex individual. And honestly, I found a lot of things in common with me and Jimmy Hoffa. Now, not, not too many things, let's be clear. But to understand what happened, you almost have to understand kind of what led up to his disappearance. So you have to go all the way back. Uh, to when he was an 18-year-old stock boy working at Kroger's Grocery. Wow. Right? In fact, actually, I have to go back before that, because what, what not a lot of people know is that he was actually the son of a coal miner in Indiana. He was born in Brazil, Indiana, not Brazil, right. Brazil, Indiana. Yeah. He was, a, he was the son of a coal miner, and his father died of black lung. He literally worked to death wow. while Hoffa was a young boy leaving Hoffa and his brother and his mother. So his mother started doing laundry for everybody in the neighborhood trying to make ends meet. She was determined to keep the family afloat. She was a very hard-edged woman. She moved the family from Indiana to, to Michigan where little Jimmy Hoffa realized that he had to work to help his mother keep the family afloat. So him and his brother would try to choose. They would deliver the clean laundry. They would do everything they could to help their mother. And eventually, about 18 years old, Jimmy Hoffa starts working on the docks of the Kroger, unloading the trucks. And what he realized at a very young age was that when the trucks didn't, when there was no truck to unload, they sat around. Nobody was getting paid. Nobody was making money. Nothing was happening. They just sat there. It was a complete waste of time. Now, Jimmy Hoffa being so young and impressionable when his father died of black lung, and then right after that was hit by the depression, he was very focused on not living that life and not wanting others to have to go through the struggles that he went through moving from Indiana to Michigan, being a shorter guy. That's where I, that's where I really associate. He was a short guy who had to fight through very tough neighborhoods. Uh, when you're a little guy, I know there's a whole Napoleon complex thing. Right. That's another story for another episode. Cause that's all bullshit. <laughs> but as little guys, you do have to fight twice as hard. So Hoffa took that, ideology with him as an 18 year old he organized all the the uh truck unloaders for kroger's all all his fellow stock boys and stock men really at that point and they all went to management and said unless they got paid a fair even wage even when they weren't they were going to strike eventually striking and getting his way they and they let Jimmy Hoffa, again, 18, 19 years old, in there to negotiate the terms when they eventually got a contract and were successful. From there, he then con- he continued to do that. Many other companies and uh, corporations, many other groups of laborers would 
come together and actually ask him to negotiate. His whole negotiating philosophy was to go in and he would say. So he, they basically made this, this young kid who's barely 19 years old do all this major negotiation. Yeah. With, and he dropped out of high school in ninth grade. That's so we're not crazy. talking about somebody that had a great, uh, a great education when it came to you know, your normal book stuff, but he's very street smart. He was a very bright individual, and he took advantage of every opportunity he could get. He realized that he could get into a room with management, and they were softer than him. So he could sit there and out-stamina them. And once they got too tired, that's when he got his way because he would, he would literally wear them down. He was one of the most dedicated human beings to a cause ever. The man never smoked, never drank, never womanized. Never went on vacation. He worked seven days a week. Never played a round of golf in his life. He lived and died for the Teamsters. So as you progress through his life, he's moving up the ranks of Teamsters and unions and negotiating these things. But then he starts to realize he'd go out on a, on a picket line, get in a fight, because back then what would happen is management, they weren't going to fight you. Right. But they would hire they would hire mafia and mob men, and those men would beat up on the, the striking laborers. So Jimmy Hoffa realized that the best way for him to combat that was to have mobsters of his own or know the mobsters on the other side and utilize those relationships. So that's exactly what he did. He got in contact and got very comfortable with mafia and mob-affiliated people. And what he did was he utilized those powers kind of zapping it from the management and allowing him better techniques for negotiation. And he was able to use their muscle to push himself up to the ranks of the Teamsters very, very fast. Very fast. Right. Eventually, he became the president of the Teamsters International. Again, he lived and died for the Teamsters. What not a lot of people know is he was a super dedicated father. And this comes back into play later on uh, in the story. He was an unbelievably dedicated father. He loved his wife. He loved his children very, very much. So let me let me ask but he was you. Very let, dedicated. Let me ask you this, Jay. So you got this guy who's super dedicated to his family, right? He's not a drinker. Mm -hmm. He's not a womanizer. He's not doing drugs. He's a straight laced dude. But he is hiring. I don't know straight laced, but yeah. What? So somewhat, you know. Besides the hiring the mob part of it, yeah. Uh, all all accounts, you know, a pretty straight up dude, right? Where did this all go wrong? T tell me where all this went wrong, Jay. So all this starts to go wrong. Well, things start to unravel, really, as he becomes the president of the Teamsters Union International. Because now he has uh, accessibility to the pension of 400,000 plus truck drivers. At that time, he actually had more members in his Teamsters Union than the United States had in the Army. Wow, that's impressive. Wrap your, wrap your mind around that. Yeah, and that's impressive. Because, it was the, the team, because the Teamsters were an international union, he actually didn't have to answer to anybody. He didn't have to answer to the president. He didn't have to answer to the senators. He didn't have to answer to anybody. Wow. He was top dog. And... If he calls a strike, every truck in America that really keeps the backbone of this country running would have stopped. That's just like having, he yeah, he had basically a stranglehold then. 
had a stranglehold. But remember, he used the mafia to get into power. So what the mafia wanted to do is the mafia would skim money away from the pensions. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars he had access to. So they used him and those pensions as their bank. And actually, they used those pensions to fund the building of Las Vegas. Wow. Amazing. That's, I, so, didn't, I didn't know that they it, used that. That's incredible. Jimmy Hoffa was huge in getting uh, Vegas built and, and going because he loaned the mafia those dollars. Now, here's where the things get interesting because the mafia had enough respect for Jimmy Hoffa to allow him, they would pay back those pension money. So he only gave them money that he felt were good investments. They were more partners. Right. Okay. And Jimmy Hoffa was a very uh, headstrong individual. He was a very tough guy. He ends up getting in contact with a mafia hitman by the name of Frank. It starts with an S, and now I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little hazy on it. Frank, he calls him, and he says to him, I hear you paint houses. And there's actually a book by that, uh, by that title that documents this, this guy's life. And when someone says, I hear you paint houses, that means that you, you kill people because your blood splatters what's up on the wall. And that you're painting the, the wall with blood. And he responded, yes, I, and I do my own construction, which means he would also get rid of the body. So there's a chance, and they've never been able to link Hoppe to anybody's murders, but there's a chance that he called him knowing that somebody might have to be off. Now, this guy would eventually become the head of his own Teamsters union on the East Coast. So he ran the East Coast Teamsters collection and was like Hoppe's right-hand guy. Wow. Him and Hoppe were very close. They traveled together all the time. Right. So Hoppe's loaning the mafia money. The mafia is paying it back. The Teamsters are none of the wiser. Hoppe's taking a little on the side. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. Until. Until. Dun, dun, dun. Until the early 60s. In the early 60s, Jimmy Hoppe runs into Robert Kennedy. Really? Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy felt he had to prove his position because before Robert Kennedy became the, uh, the attorney general, he had never tried a case, ever. He got that because of his family's clout. So he really went after Jimmy Hoffa. Mm. And there are some really interesting conversations. These are two people that fought a class war by themselves. Jimmy Hoffa hated Robert Kennedy, and the feeling was reciprocated. Oh, wow. These two went at each other. And if anybody ever gets a chance, I suggest you go on YouTube and watch some of the footage uh-huh. of Robert Kennedy like going at Jimmy Hoffa and Jimmy Hoffa defending going at at him back, especially when he starts talking about having a communist in the ranks of the Teamsters. Holy shit, does Jimmy Hoffa go off? Oh, and probably gangster. It huh? shows, yeah, man. I mean, it, it shows you how, just how tough Jimmy Hoffa had to be. Again, here's a guy with a ninth grade ninth grade level education sitting in a grand jury being deposed by the brother of a then-senator, eventual president, on, on trial for, most, for more, really all intents and purposes, 
on trial. He's up there, and he is being sequestered. He is being just run through, and he doesn't back down one little bit. In fact, he gives Robert Kennedy every bit that Robert Kennedy gave him back. I mean, that really shows you the kind of fortitude and confidence that this dude had, and it's why he was such a great leader. Everywhere he went, everything he did, everybody would end up following and kind of looking to him as, as a leader because he was, he was so charismatic and strong-willed, and he, and he really did seem to have everybody's best interests at heart. Where it gets sad is because he allowed his moral compass to come askew, to get the power to make things right. So again, it's kind of like we talked earlier. You have to decide on, is the cost worth the outcome? Right. So this is where things start going down for, for Hoffa. Hoffa is being under the microscope of JFK and Robert Kennedy to the point where everything he does is being tracked. Eventually, one of the Teamsters kind of throws Hoffa under the bus. So then Hoffa ends up on trial for fraud, for embezzling, for a few other charges. Eventually, the case gets thrown out because the jury couldn't make a decision. Well, then he goes back on trial for jury tampering. Oh, now, this is where they got him. They got him on a jury tampering. They were, able to, they were able to prove that he had somebody mess with the jury, and that is how he got out of his initial legal battle. So once he's found of that, then the, then, the, then the dominoes start falling. Right. He ends up getting... 13 years in prison. So as he's leaving the Teamsters, he leaves it to his second in command, not, uh, not, not Frankie that we talked about earlier. Uh, he leaves it to his second in command, who's not a strong will. Okay. So the four years, the four years ultimately Hoffa would end up in prison. And, and while he was in prison, just to talk about how charismatic he was, he organized a union for, for the officers of the prison. For corrections officers. He helped organize a union for the corrections officers, and he played the go-between between, between the, the officers and the warden and was able to get the officers what they needed. Wow. Right? Yeah, man. That's, that's impressive. That, that's impressive. I got, that's, that's balls. That's impressive. I, again, I take nothing away from this guy. The guy made some mistakes. I'm not going to say far from perfect. He was, a, he was a dedicated father. He was a hell of a worker. And he always put the Teamsters first. So the four years he was in prison, the person he had left mm -hmm. to take his, his position as the president of the Teamsters International allowed, he wasn't as strong as Jimmy Hoffa was. So he allowed the mafia to do whatever they wanted. Now here's where things can start getting a little bit muddled up because while he was in prison, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Mm -hmm. The person that, that assassinated John F. Kennedy uh, help me out here. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on Which one? I'm having a lot of trouble with names. Lee Harvey Oswald? Yeah, Lee Har uh, Harvey Oswald. Okay. Now this is where things start getting muddled. And this is where the, the mysteries really start with what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Because the person that murdered Lee Harvey Oswald had ties to the same mafia 
that Hoffa was in cahoots with. There's a conspiracy theory out there that the same gang, the same mob that was in cahoots with the killer of Lee Harvey Oswald were also in talks with the CIA trying to overthrow Castro. Yep. Heard the same, I've heard that same thing. So the government might be partially responsible. The mafia might be partially responsible. There, there's some talks about him still being, a, or him faking his death, but I don't believe that. Only because he, he was such a dedicated family man, I don't think he would just disappear. He's, he's too, he's too head fast, too stubborn. Yeah. So anyway, so Hoffa spends four years in prison. And the only reason he gets out is because President Nixon pardons him. And the only reason the pardon worked is because he pardoned him saying that he could no longer go back to working with the Teamsters. So Jimmy Hoffa, not realizing that was, it, that was wording in the pardon, takes the pardon, signs the pardon, gets out, realizes that that's in the pardon. And he's not allowed to actually interact with the Teamsters ever again. But he feels like that's not really how that should be. So what does he do? He goes Hoffa back. then starts talking about, he starts, he starts trying to appeal the portion of the pardon that says he couldn't work for the Teamsters again. And a lot of Teamsters wanted him back as their president because while he was the president, even though there was embezzling going on, they never made more. Jimmy Hoffa got them the maximum wages and always took care of them first. He was their guy. And they, 98%, were loyal to him. So he wanted to be back in position. But the mafia didn't want him back in position because if, the mafia, if he had gotten back in position, the mafia couldn't do what they wanted with the Teamsters' pensions like they wanted. They couldn't take money and not have to pay it back. That would be why there's like, there's like $150, $150 million missing from those pension funds. Because <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't feel like they had to pay it back to the other guy. Right, of course. Hoffa, they would have. Right. So in Hoffa's desperate, frantic, almost riddick, uh, not riddick, addict style, this is like addicted to being the head of the Teamsters. Like it was, it was, he had to do it. He threatened to denounce the mafia. And he starts getting ready to turn on them. Now, what he would have told about the mobsters and the mafia, who knows? That went with Jimmy Hoffa to his grave. Right. Presumably. Well, that's so, another interesting point, where his grave is. That's a whole other issue, too, right? Do what? That's a whole other uh, question in this uh, whole monkey wrench into this whole thing. Where is actually his, you know, where does his remains lie at this point? You'll never find him. That's true. So if you look at, and we're, we're talking about just facts, okay, just facts. He had had an issue with one particular mob boss. He was set to meet with that mob boss and another mob boss that he had worked with try to hash out their their issues so he could get back as the head of the Teamsters. But remember, the Mafia doesn't really want him back. All of his friends were begging him just to give it up. Let it go. Let it go. He was supposed to have a meeting with the two. So he goes to a restaurant in Michigan. Now, two days before, he was actually in Las Vegas in a casino meeting with his lawyer, who was a partner and a part owner of a casino in Las Vegas with this particular mob ball. Oh, how convenient. Excessively convenient, isn't it? <laughs> so, I can already see the connection. This mob, this mob boss and Hoppe 
had had a falling out, and Hawk was trying to fix things because he wanted to get back with the Teamsters. He's supposed to meet for lunch at 2. He calls his wife at 2.15, says the person hadn't shown. He'll be home by 4.30 to grill steaks. Right. That's the last anybody ever heard of him. It's amazing. His friend, the former hitman who painted houses, has been on record saying that the mafia are going to hit you. They don't send someone you don't know. Right. They send someone you know to lull you with a false sense of security. And And that's the leading thought on what probably happened to Jimmy Hoffman. He probably got in a car with someone he thought he knew, talking about the most recent football game, and before he knew it, pow, he was dead. Yeah. Oof. And with all those all those industrial parks out in Detroit, especially under mafia control back in the 60s, or 70s at this point, right? it wouldn't have been very hard to, to put his body somewhere that it's never going to be found. Yeah, you're right, and uh, it's it's like an ongoing mystery where where is Jimmy's office remains? Nobody knows. You know, where is office? Where is office remains? So the the big conspiracies are some people think that the CIA did it, knowing that he was going to expose the possibility that they were the ones that uh, assassinated Robert and John Kennedy. There's talk that the Teamsters might have done it because. Uh, some of the teamsters were pissed that he allowed the mafia to skim off the top of their pensions. And then there's uh, the obvious mafia, mafia connection. Now, I think we know what, where my, my belief is on what happened. Where do you, where do you mean, lie? I could say. Where do you think, Jay? Tell I, me. I mean, honestly, I, I think the mafia, they, they were enjoying the power they were having over a much weaker president than Jimmy Hoffa. They didn't want Hoffa back in, in the presidency because he – was a strong enough leader to where he would tell the mafia, no, you can't have this money. It's a bad investment. Or they felt enough respect for him that they had to give that, those monies back. And money will make men do crazy things. Oh, yeah, we've seen that money, time and time again. Money money and pussy. Those are the two things that make, make men do dumb things. <laughs> oh, tell boy. me I'm wrong. No, no you're, you're right. You're right. Um, but, yeah, that's it's, it's an interesting thing because – you know, there, there's the, the 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 legend where he's buried. What is it under? Supposedly, like giant stadium. Is that correct or no? Supposedly, supposedly he's he's buried somewhere uh, under the astroturf and giant stadium. Uh, there was talks of him being put and stuffed in a refrigerated truck and thrown off the coast of Alaska. <laughs> there, I mean, there's so many different. There's so many different places in uh, Detroit to talk about the possibility he's under the concrete, but nothing has ever turned up. And nothing will ever turn up. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where his body's going to show up. I think they've gotten rid of it in such a way where you're never going to find it. So, And the mafia has uh, proven themselves time and time again that they are experts in that particular field. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great case, man. That's a, It's something that... They've made movies of, and uh, it, it's a great story. And you know, it's it's interesting how a guy of you know that nature who didn't have much education just pretty much did things with you know his word and you know what he was able to do and you know make things happen and negotiate with you know four people, and that's uh, that's a pretty impressive thing, especially for that time and how far he was able to get up in the ranks. It, it, you know, for somebody who didn't have 
the 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 basic tools to do it he he certainly was able to make up with it you know i guess with his personality and his street smarts it seems like is his charisma his work ethic and his determination yeah uh and those are three super admirable uh character traits that i found uh in jimmy hoffa as i listened to documentaries and i read uh different articles written about him uh as i as i kind of delved more into the life of jimmy hoffa uh I, he was he was a like i said a complex man he's a very interesting individual uh, he was a dedicated father to his two kids to his granddaughter uh he was an all-out family man the only thing that came above his family was the teamsters he felt like the teamsters was his family but it was also his responsibility to never see somebody go through what he went through after his father passed with no pension, no benefits, and he did everything he could, including getting in bed with the mafia, to make sure that his teamsters never had to go through that. So, again, his decision to get in bed with them obviously came back to, uh, to bite him in the ass. Yeah, it sure did. But ultimately, but ultimately his... His reasoning was sound. His, where his heart lies was in the right place. He just got aside the path, uh, which, is, which is a shame. Because honestly, if you take someone like Jimmy Hoffa and you get him somewhere in government, as a senator or a governor, or hell, even a president, could you imagine the things a charismatic, strong-willed leader could have accomplished? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Imagine a guy like that. I mean, a guy who was able to make, um, you know, something out of himself when he had nothing uh, and to be able to do that, put him in a position of power. I mean, my gosh, who knows what could have happened? Exactly. So that's, uh, that was, that was my true crime mystery. Cause obviously nobody's ever uh, found the body. Nobody's really ever talked <clears throat> about it. There been a few people come out and said that they had they killed Hoffa, but they couldn't really complete the story as to what they did uh, or how it all went down. So, you know, there's still a lot of different conspiracy theories around what happened, where he's at. That's a mystery that's probably going to be unsolved until the end of the planet, until the end of hum- the human race. But again, I strongly, strongly advise if if you guys are looking for something really uh, invigorating to watch, something really stupendously entertaining YouTube the Robert Kennedy Jimmy Hoffa uh, debate because they are incredible I never saw those I'm going to have to check those out you would like them my friend you would like them very much so yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Okay, man. Well, listen, that's a great one, man. Thanks for um, doing the research on that, and you really, you know, got into it and was able, you know, were able to really get into that case and you know give some really good details on it. And you know, I, I agree with you. I think the mafia had something to do with it. Um, that's what it seems like it all points to at the end. But nonetheless, one of the great mysteries of you know American culture, you know, to this day, you know, where is Jimmy Hoffa? Where you know, where's his body? And who killed him? And how? How how is it all done? We'll never know, I guess. So, one of the greatest, uh, I guess, American mysteries that'll continue to remain. Because, like you said, Jay, I don't think they're ever going to find his body. So, interesting case uh, tonight, Jay. I want to bring out a uh, a classic here from Florida. And um, when I talk about this particular case, it's gonna you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, because 
you living here in Florida, you, that's all you could hear about uh, during that time. But I'm going to talk about the uh, Kaylee Marie Anthony case. Um, very uh, sad oh, case. Yeah. yeah, right out of Orlando, Florida. And um, <clears throat> it was a very uh, interesting time that uh, was happening here in Florida because in 2008, 2009, uh, all the way to 2011 when the trial finally concluded. It was a very interesting case. And for those of you that don't know, Kaylee Marie Anthony, she was a three-year-old American girl. She lived in Orlando, Florida. Her mother, Casey Marie Anthony, uh, I think she was like 19 or 20 at the time. She lived there with her grandparents, George and Cynthia uh, Anthony. And she was reported missing on July 15th of 2008, uh, made by a 911 call by Cindy, the grandmother and uh, who said that she had not seen Kaylee for 31 days. So that's what kind of like got the whole ball in motion. And uh, that's what started everything because, you know, the, the grandmother hadn't seen uh, Kaylee in a while and, you know, grew very suspicious about what was happening. Uh, so what, how did it all happen? The disappearance of, you know, Kaylee. According to Casey Anthony's father, George Anthony, Casey left the family's home on June 16, 2008. And she took her daughter, Kaylee, <clears throat> who was almost three years old at the time, with her and did not return for 31 days. Uh, Casey's mother, Cindy, asked repeatedly during the month to see Kaylee. But, of course, Casey claimed that uh, she was too busy with work assignment in Tampa. Uh, and other times she said that Kaylee was with a nanny. Uh, do you remember that part, Jay? The nanny who supposedly took uh, Kaylee away as well. And she blamed this poor Spanish lady <laughs> who had nothing to do with anything. And um, next thing you know, this this poor nanny is on national television as a, a suspect in this girl's disappearance. But going back to the case here, the nanny who was you know named Zanida or Zanny supposedly took her to a theme park and then a beach and then um, supposedly eventually determined that the woman Zanida uh, didn't in fact exist, but she had never met Casey. Uh, or Kaylee, or any other member of the Anthony family. So this lady who's never even met her had just got pinned for this girl's disappearance. Well, anyways, on July 13th, 2008, while doing yard work, Cindy and George Anthony found a notice from the post office uh, for a certified letter affixed to their front door. Uh, George then picked up the certified letter um, from the post office and found that his daughter's car was in the tow yard. And so then George picked up the car and both he and the tow yard attendant noted a strong smell coming from the trunk. So um, both later stated that they believed the odor uh, that of a decomposing body. Uh, that's what they you know, said that they felt like what it was. Uh, when the trunk was open, it contained a bag of trash, but no human remains. Uh, Cindy then reported Kaylee missing that day. Uh, July 15th to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. And then uh, during that same telephone call, uh, Casey confirmed to the 911 operator that Kaylee had been missing for 31 days, uh, sounding very distraught over the phone. And then Cindy also said, and this is a very important part of the case here, Jay, that there was something wrong. This is the quote. There is something wrong. I found my daughter's car today, and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. That was the quote, Jay. So the day that... This girl ended up missing, or the day that she was reported missing, her grandmother reports this to the cops on 911. So at this point, a lot of the evidence points to Casey, right? So now we get into the investigation. I mean, 31, day, 31 days with the kid, like, I mean, listen, we're both parents. If my kid's gone for 31 minutes and I don't know where they are, I'm feeling like the worst human being ever. I freak the fuck out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a fear of any parent or any sane parent, I, I should say, is, you know, 
something. And there like, you go. You got to put that pretense in there. Exactly. Any sane parent, and you know, we're. I don't believe that we were dealing with a very sane parent here, but you know, getting into the investigation, you know, uh, the the guy who was in charge of the whole investigation was uh, Detective Yuri Melick of the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Um, he was the one who began investigating Kaylee's disappearance, and he found a bunch of discrepancies in Kaylee's signed statements. Uh, it, it was full of holes, basically, Jay. Uh, when he questioned Casey, when he questioned her, uh, she said that Kaylee had been kidnapped by Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez, the nanny again, uh, show, who she identified as Zanny. Uh, and so she had talked about this Zanny lady continuously through the interview, but she had never mentioned it to Casey's family or friends. Like, nope. When they questioned her about, you know, questioned them about this Zanny, this uh, nanny person, nobody knew who the fuck this lady was, Jay. So it was like this lady, this girl who, you know, pulled this lady in, you know, into this fray of this craziness out of nowhere just to get, the, I believe, in my opinion, the heat off of her. So she said that. She was working at Universal Studios at the time, um, a lie that she had been telling her parents for years, and so that was another hole in the case. Uh, then she said that she brought Kaylee to Universal Studios that same day that she was reported missing, and she led the police around a while before admitting that she had been fired years before. So then she copped to the whole bullshit. She you know, she came out, she's like, okay, I lied, blah, 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 blah. So already from the beginning, Jay, we're... we're we're dealing with an individual who is already lying about working at a certain place. Why would you lie about something like that? Well, you know, if you're going to lie about something like that, how could you be credible on anything else? Right? You can't be. You can't be. But, of course, you're trying to throw logic into someone who has done something illogical. Uh, so she's trying to scratch and claw and find every which way she could to get the attention off of her, come up with some kind of alibi that makes enough sense belong about working at Universal, uh, especially to help, you know, helps the parents help her, I guess. This, I mean, it's convoluted to say the best. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so Casey was arrested on July 16, 2008, and she was charged with the following on the following day with giving false statements to a law enforcement officer, child neglect, and obstruction of criminal uh, of a uh, criminal investigation. So uh, the ju uh, judge denied bail, saying that Casey had shown woeful disregard. This is the quote, woeful disregard for the welfare of her child. You know, that's uh, already a, uh, a judge already coming out saying that. That should, that should give so much weight to this case. But as we get in a little further, we'll see what the, the overall sentencing was, which was uh, laughable at best. But we'll get into the investigation here going back. Let's see here. So she was charged with all these charges. Judge denied bail. She had no regard for her child. And then after a bond hearing, the judge set bail at $500,000. And so on August 21st, 2008, after a one-month incarceration, she was released from the Orange County Jail after her $500,000 bail was posted by the nephew of California bail bondsman Leonard Padilla in hopes that she would cooperate and Kaylee would be found. So on uh, August 11th, 12th, and 13th of that year of 2008, uh, meter reader Roy Cron called police about a suspicious object found in the forested area near Anthony's residence. The first instance, he was directed by the sheriff's office to call the tip line, which he did, uh, receiving no call, no return call at all whatsoever. On the second instance, he again called the sheriff's office, eventually was met by two police officers and reported them that he had seen what appeared to be a skull near a gray bag. 
on that occasion, <laughs> the officer conducted a short, a short search and he stated that he did not see anything. But on December 11th of 2008, Kronk again called the police. They searched and found the remains of a child in a trash bag. Now, the investigative teams recovered duct tape, which was hanging from Kaylee's hair and some soft tissue that was left in her skull. And then after um, the next four days, Jay, uh, more bones were found, you know, scattered in the woods. Um, obviously, the, probably the, you know, the animals got to the body at some point and just, you know, that's what happens in nature, unfortunately. And then the death was ruled a homicide at that point uh, because of all that circumstance. Well, not circumstantial, but all that evidence that pretty much pointed to something nefarious was happening at that point. So um, that was how it all kind of came to be. And when the body was found, then Casey was offered a, a limited immunity deal on July 29th of 2008 by prosecutors related to the false statements given to the law enforcement about locating her child stuff, uh, which was renewed on August 25th. Uh, which she did not take. So she denied. She just basically said, "No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take that deal." So then, on September 5th of that same year, 2008, she was released again on bail, all pending charges from being uh, fitted for the electronic uh, tracking device. So she had an ankle monitor and all that shit. And then um, her $500,000 bond was posted by her parents, uh, George and um, Cindy Anthony. So. They signed a promissory note for the bond, and they basically got her out. So on uh, October 14th, uh, Casey Anthony was indicted by the grand jury on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to police. She was later arrested again, and then uh, Judge John Jordan ordered that she be held without bond, no bond at all whatsoever. So on October 21st, 2008, the charges of child neglect were dropped against Casey, according to the state attorney's office, because, quote unquote, the evidence proved that the child was deceased. The state sought an indictment on the legally appropriate charges. And that's the end of the quote. So on October 28th, Anthony was arraigned and pleaded not guilty to all charges. And then on uh, April 13th of that uh, 2009, prosecutors announced that they planned to seek the death penalty in the case. So now the case is developing more. Things are really starting to, you know, the pressure is getting to Casey. Do you remember when all this stuff was happening, Jay, that there was actually men sending her, like, uh, letters to her saying they were in love with her and all this stuff? Yeah, because dudes are dumb. <laughs> but you know what? There's, it actually happens on the other side, too. You know, uh, you know Charlie Manson, you know, he had a bunch of admirers, and a lot of these uh, serial yep. killers, you know, they, they have these people who just fall in love with them for some reason. Crazy as shit. Crazy. Here I am, 39, single as could be. <laughs> Charlie Manson and, uh, and Miss Anthony, they're pulling more trim than they know what to do with. <laughs> it's farewell. It's, not, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, uh, let's see. She was uh, indicted on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, uh, all that stuff. Kronk, who discovered the remains, repeated the same basic story that he had told the police on Friday, October 24, 2008. A forensic report by this guy named Arpad Voss of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. He judged that all the results from the air sampling uh, procedure uh, performed of the trunk of Casey Anthony's card showed chemical compounds consistent. This is the quote, Jay consistent with decompositional event so basically something died in there something died in her trunk 
And um, based on the presence of the five chemical key compounds, over 400 possible chemical compounds that Voss Research Group uh, considers a typical of decomposition. So they were basically able to figure this out, that there was a decomposing body in the trunk at some point. And then on October, 20, uh, on October 2019, officials released 700 pages of documents related to the Anthony investigation, including records of uh, Google searches of the terms neck-breaking, quote-unquote, uh, how to make chloroform, quote-unquote, uh, on a computer accessible to Casey and uh, presented by the prosecutors as evidence of a crime. So uh, according to detectives at that point, the crime scene evidence included a residue of a heart-shaped box sticker that was found on duct tape over the mouth of Kaylee's skull. Remember that, Jay, when that came out? I uh, sure do. Yeah, that was fucking horrible. Uh, however, uh, the actual laboratory test was not able to capture the heart-shaped photogra- photographically after some duct tape was subject to dye testing. So I guess when they did the testing of the tape, they kind of ruined the, the, the heart-shaped sticker. So um, another thing that they found at the scene was a blanket that matched Kaylee's uh, bedding at her grandparents' home. So she obviously there was a connection there as well. Um, among the photos that were entered into evidence, Jay, one of the um, uh, of the computer of Ricardo Morales, an ex-boyfriend of Casey, depicting a poster with the caption "Winner over with chloroform." So that was like this ongoing thing that Casey had, like some obsession with chloroform. It's really strange. So witness John Dennis Bradley's software developed for uh, computer investigations was used to was used by the prosecution to uh, indicate that Casey had conducted extensive computer searches on the word chloroform 84 times to be exact, Jay. And it suggested that she had planned to commit this murder. I mean, it was pretty simple. Um, He later then discovered that there was a flaw in the software and misread the forensic data. And the word chloroform had been searched only one time and in the website in question offered information and the use of chloroform in the 19th century. So it kind of backfired. They figured out that the algorithm wasn't working and basically they couldn't use that evidence. So, well, she looked it up at least one time. So, you know, is it circumstantial evidence that she looked at the word chloroform and maybe if there was chloroform used, who knows? Uh, That's something that you have to kind of, you know, think about. Uh, but the attorneys and the jury led the prosecutor in the case was Assistant uh, State Attorney Linda um, Burdick. She was the lead prosecutor on the team. With um, On the other side was the defense was Jose Baez. Everybody was um, very familiar with Mr. Jose Baez. He was a yeah, very, yeah, you remember that guy, right? He's very loud, very flamboyant, very um, boisterous. You know, uh-huh. it, it, he came across as a dick pretty much, you know, on TV. The jury selection took longer than expected. It was kind of really uh, an issue because this was a really serious case. I mean, they had to get a jury from another area to look at this this case because it impacted a lot of people. It impacted the whole state of Florida. I mean, everybody is watching this case, basically waiting to see what was going to happen. And, you know, it had everybody on pins and needles. But panel consisted of nine women, eight men. The trial took six weeks. During the time, the jury was sequestered to avoid any influence from, you know, information that was available outside the courtroom. So, you know, you had this crazy case just building up and, you know, all this 
the circus show that goes behind this, people don't realize, you know, this is not like a normal case where, you know, you just go into a courtroom and that's it. And, you know, no, this is like cameras are following you all the time. You know, there's investigators that are trying to figure out, you know, who you are, if you're on, you know, the, uh, the jury and, you know, find out about your life and so on and so forth. So it, it's, it's crazy to, to think about all the things, the other things that go into it as well. You know what I mean? That go into this case. So getting into the um, to the case again, as the juries and all that stuff starts to ramp up, uh, the you know they they have the case. A lot of the stuff that comes out in the case, Jay, they start pointing to the grandpa, uh, the grandfather. Uh, they start pointing uh, that there was some type of abuse that he had done to Casey when she was younger. Uh, that um, you know that he may have been responsible for Kaylee's death. They believe that she supposedly died by drowning, supposedly, in a pool, at the pool, at the house, and that, uh, you know, he was the one who dis- you know, disposed of the body. Um, a lot of that was kind of picked apart during the jury trial, and um, a lot of people figured out that that was kind of bullshit, that this girl seemed very crazy and just was unstable, uh, because you could tell by what she was doing, supposedly, the day after Kaylee was dead or gone. She was out partying. She was out posting pictures of herself on Facebook, going to, you know, drinking parties and doing keg stands and hanging out with guys and doing all this crazy shit. Meanwhile, her daughter is dead. So you can already tell what kind of person you're dealing with at that point by looking at their, looking at what actions they were doing at that point when all this was going on. Uh, she was not like. I being, believe piece of shit comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. That's a great. That's a great word a, a depiction. Exactly. So she was doing all this stuff, and you know, even after, you know, she was just, she was really placating to her being like this innocent-looking person. You know, she was a fairly attractive woman, yes, but I think she used that to her advantage. I think she was able to kind of you know, sway people um, because the end result was that she was found not guilty for the murder of her daughter. I think, in my personal opinion, the prosecution really dropped the ball in this case because I believe that besides, this is my personal opinion, I don't know about you, Jay, but besides the O.J. Simpson case where everybody knew he did it, but he got away with it, this is another case where everybody knew she did it, but she got away with it. Yeah, it's a shame when justice, the justice system fails us like this, and especially in such a high-profile case. You know, you really hope that people are crossing their T's and dying their eyes. But in this case, I don't think the uh, lawyers did the job that they had to do, and she was getting to kind of walk, just walk out scot-free. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing that the justice system failed us in this particular case, and that's what I really do believe happened here. Um, you know, she... Had a hell of a lawyer. I give it up to Mr. Baez. He did a great job doing what he was supposed to do for his client. That's what he's paid for, and that's his job. So I I can't take that away from him, even though he's a dick. But she got away with this. And, you know, it's it's amazing to me that, well, she did get pinned for the lying to the cops. So that was pretty much, you know, she fessed up to that, so you couldn't get around that. So... She ended up, I think, spending a year in jail. I think she it was already time served because she had been in jail already for that long. So, you know, pretty much she was released at that point, and she's allowed to live, a, you know, a free life to this point. And 
I don't know if you know this, Jay, but she lives not too far from us, actually in the next town over in Lake Worth. You know, I did not realize that she lives in Lake Worth. I'll have to uh, keep an eye out next time I'm down there. I, <laughs> listen, she she was acquitted. You know, uh, she got off. She got away with it. There's nothing we can do about it at this point. It, it's a shame that the justice system failed, but I, mean, I guess she's found not guilty kind of let her go. I, I really feel bad about saying that. Like that. No, she shouldn't be let go, but right. There's nothing we can do outside the law. So let me ask you this, Jay. I'm not condoning anything outside the law. People okay. listen to me very clearly. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let me ask you a question, Jay, since you're a single man, yeah, man. and you were hooked yeah. up on a blind <laughs> date. And next thing you know, it's Casey Anthony. Would you continue on that date? I, I'm curious. Oh, Hell no. <laughs> you got the crazy eyes, bro. <laughs> she mm -mm. does. She no, has sir. psycho I'm eyes. Out. Psycho eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. She's like the, one of those women that is like in your windowsill, like looking through, peeping through, trying to see what's going on. Like that meme, one of the initial memes, uh, you know, yeah. I went through your phone. Oh, yeah. Who's this woman you're texting named Mom? <laughs> No, it's it's an interesting question because I I've always wanted to know if who would date somebody like that. You know, maybe maybe it's been so long. It's been ten years already, Jay. Actually, since that all happened, I mean, it seems like yesterday, but it it's been ten years, and it's crazy. It's I'm cra sure I'm sure there's people. I'm sure there's plenty of people. I'm sure there's plenty of dudes that have found themselves out on a date with Casey Anthony, and we're like, hey, she's kind of hot. <laughs> Oh boy, man, I have no idea. Well, yeah, listen, that was uh, that was my case for the true crime uh, segment for this podcast, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I definitely enjoyed Jimmy Hoffa. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed Kaylee Anthony, another uh, case where we're never going to find out. And I I don't believe that you know who killed mm -hmm. her, but we kind of already know who did in a way. So. Uh, but we don't know 100%, of course. But, you know, again, great stories. Uh, two great true crime stories where, you know, again, it'll be something that we always talk about. It'll be a mystery to us. And, uh, you know, we're, we can always talk about. Uh, again, that's it for the meat and potatoes of the podcast, Jay. Let's uh, round it out with what to watch for this week. Jay, what do you got for what to watch? Tell us. For me, my what to watch, I've actually been going back. Uh, I have two what to watch. Okay. Uh, I've recently been going back and watching episodes of the live version of The Tick. Remember that? Yeah, The you Tick. Remember the Tick, the, tick, the blue guy. The tick? Yeah. Paul War Warburton's character was taken from the animated series and put into a live action series. And yeah, the special effects aren't great. And the storylines are kind of doofy, but uh, it's good for a good dumb watch. You know, if you're, you're not really sure what to do, or if you need something kind of dumb that you don't really need to follow that's kind of cutesy. What I always liked about the the live-action version of the tick is it really focuses more on Arthur or the moth than it does on the tick. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I find that to be interesting. It's almost like you have the weird world of the tick surrounding this one person uh, that's like the central point even though he's not the main character or the character that shows name after, the moth is really 
the main focus of the show because he's the one that you can most easily associate yourself with as having these superheroes and supervillains that all seem to really, really be stupid. Uh, Arthur kind of has this, like, common sense about him where it's just like, like, a lot of times you just see in his face, it's like, the fuck are you talking about? So that's a great show. I suggest everybody go back and watch it. It's entertaining, to say the least. Uh, and if I haven't already used it uh, as my one to watch, go see Captain Marvel. It's a great movie. That's going to send up Endgame very nicely. And the Endgame will be coming out, up, I want to say it's in like two weeks. So everybody should be ready for that. Uh, I will be going to see it as soon as it comes out. And that Captain Marvel leads into that. So Captain Marvel was a great movie. I actually went and saw it twice in the movie theaters, which I almost never do. Yeah, it was a lot better than what I expected it to be, actually. I, I didn't have high expectations for it, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I think... In the comic books, especially if, if you're not as in-depth with the comic books, um, Captain Marvel kind of tends to slip through your fingers, uh, mostly because she's, well, she was a member of the Avengers and definitely big with the original Infinity Wars. Really, especially in the MCU, she hasn't played as big a part, which means she hasn't been reached out to masses the way a Captain America or a Hawkeye or a Vision have. Uh, she was always kind of more of an ancillary character. And it might almost be because she's got the Superman complex, right. uh, where she's just too powerful. Right. It's hard to find or put her in a position where she's not going to be the most powerful being in the room. So she ends up not getting as much notice or as much attention because we can't identify with her as much. But I thought the movie was fantastic. Yeah, they did a really good job. They really did. And uh, like I said, a lot better than what I was expecting. And uh, it, it really did, uh, you know, turn my head. I was like, ah, okay. I was, I really did enjoy that. So, yeah, that I, I agree with you on that. It was, it was a great, uh, great movie, and I suggest everybody goes and sees it, right? Especially since Endgame is going to come out soon. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, listen, thanks for that. Uh, what to watch this week, Jay? And again, just wanted to remind everybody where to listen to the podcast. We're listen, listen to us anywhere, 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 and I do mean anywhere. What I mean by anywhere is I mean, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. You can find us. Just look up Dark Fringe Radio. That's all you got to do. When you do that, give a five-star rating. Leave us a comment. Do us a favor. Throw us a bone. We really appreciate it. It helps us out with the podcast. And, uh, you know, it, it gets us up in the ranks. Helps us with the uh, the marketers. And uh, helps us put a couple of bucks in our pocket as well. So, again, follow us on all our social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us there. Dark Fringe Radio. Follow all our stuff. Make sure you comment there as well. Interact with me. I'm always on there. Again, I'm Will Martinez for Jay Glossy. Jay, anything else for the outro? Yeah. If you're going to do something, make sure it's worth the price you have to pay to get what you're looking for. Don't overextend yourselves. Keep that moral compass pointing north. Be good. Be safe. And please, if you end up on a date with Casey Anthony, Go the other way. <laughs> yes, run the other way. Absolutely. Again, I'm Will Martinez for my co-host. As always, Jay Galosi. We bid you farewell, good night, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Dark Fringe Radio recorded in the Mephistopheles Studios. Any correspondence can be sent to thedarkfringe at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.
Tell Cavics, please, please, please. 